0: Investing Insights with Right Property Group. Exploring trends in real estate and
1: helping property investors gain financial security. G'day everybody, Steve Waters and Victor Kumar back again for our recorded version, Mm -hmm. our film version of Investing Insights with Right Property Group. And Vic, it's now been a month since we've done this. That's right. A fortnight since the last podcast. Mm -hmm but so much has changed once again. And I feel like I say that every podcast, but more so than ever now, every week is a different ecosystem.
2: Mm. Yeah, the market's shifting quite rapidly. Um, a lot of buyers jumping into the market. Um, we, we would have thought that by now the New Year's resolution surge would have stopped, but it actually hasn't.
1: No, it's a good point, actually. I think, um, well, Christmas didn't feel like Christmas. No, it did 2020 didn't seem like 2020. It's almost like we've rewound all the way back Mm. to that moment in time and we're having another go it's like let's, let's just rub that off the board and and let's move forward and mm. all markets all markets are sinking yeah for the first time yeah. in that, a that, long that's not, time that's
2: not s i n k i n g it's s y n c i n g oh yeah true right? story
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah all markets are not sinking <laughs> um <laughs> all markets are rising uh collaboratively yes uh, across the, st- the whole country and it's been many many decades since mm. we've actually seen this um, and there's i don't think there's one major market that is that has gone backwards in the last six months no
2: and who would have thought right if you if you rewind back to this time last year it was absolute doom and gloom and there were talks of you know 60 percent plunges and and 40 plunges and it was like a countdown
1: and it went the other way around and now we're starting to see double digit predictions of growth i think it's every time there's a little bit of a market in flux the journos go to the the contacts in the phone and go, who's the most negative person that we can always rely upon to give us some headlines and and talk about Mm -hmm. just how much we want to stick a fork in our eye because everything's going to collapse. And it's the same people every single time there's a little bit of negative Mm -hmm. uh, potential news out there. But it's certainly been very different than what was most predicted. We weren't one of those. However, to be fair, whilst we were very buoyant, And bullish on what would happen this is beyond our expectations as well yeah hey
2: did you see the news articles that uh, what we talked about perhaps late december where they're saying the markets are very very similar to 2003 and everything's
1: coming together and it was in the headlines yes we're talking about that a couple of weeks ago Mm -hmm. and it very much is and for those that um maybe weren't around back then it was an enormous bull run Mm. Uh, in terms of asset values, and I don't think that we're going to experience that type of literal hundred percent growth in in some markets in twelve months. We're not going to experience that. No. Uh, but what we are experiencing is above normal, and we will take it. But as long as we always plan for the future, as we always talk about. So before we get into our subject, um, what has but what have you been seeing in the markets over the last fortnight?
2: Look, certainly um, uh, you you can see that. There was this talk about more stock coming on the market, but just as more stock comes on the market, there are more buyers coming to the market as well. Um, mortgage rates are really high in terms of the number of people taking out mortgages for own occupiers. And and, and certainly the home upgraders, the move interstate, um, the um, buying that perfect home seems to be on the cards more and more uh, as, as people get, get set into, let's do something for ourselves. And I suppose... They've got a lot of disposable income because they can't go overseas at the moment, so uh, plow it into property.
1: And that is, that is a part of the pie, mm. um, as is well, – you mentioned about stock on market where there was a little bit of narrative around, well, we think there's going to be more stock on the market because, um, you know, one of the indicators, CMA reports, uh, have started to increase, which is a prerequisite for probably over 90% of buyers' agents when they're going to a seller to potentially sell their property, mm. sign with us, here's a CMA report. So it's a, it's a leading indicator on what potentially could come onto the market. But you made a good point, whilst those CMAs have increased slightly, maybe there is some more stock on the market, but not enough to be um, you know, sort of high-fiving over because there's actually more buyers in the market Correct. that's taking up that small increase of listings. And the other thing is a I get a question quite a lot is why aren't people selling? Like why aren't they taking mm. advantage of potentially, you know, a good moment in time <coughs> in terms of achieving a sale result for their property. And what I put it down to is they want to experience more of this accelerating mm. market because it means more asset value before they sell it. Yep. But also the big thing is if you've got an upsizer, downsizer or a sideways sizer that is wanting to move into something else, And if it's not there, they're not going to sell what they're already in. So it's a bit of a sort of inflection point, which comes first? Do I sell my home then look? Or Mm -hmm. do I actually see that there's more on the market before I sell mine so that I'm not caught in no man's land?
2: Plus the mental game that people play with themselves,
1: right? If I sell now, what if I miss the growth that's going to happen for the rest of the year? could also be that with the whole sea change tree change that people are just saying well you know before i sell my property i might just wait and see how this pans out Mm -hmm. whether it is feasible and sustainable to actually move to these areas and my my employer or my business will cater for that yeah so i'll just hang hang back a bit and these are all the unknowns um which are always there Mm. just different trigger points and we deal with what we can. We know that the cost of money is low. We know that consumer confidence is extremely high. High search intent activity is still very high. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, a lack of rental properties in the good located areas. It, there's, there's a housing accommodation crisis. Correct. And We talked about that 18 months ago, That's well right. before COVID, uh, and it's all come together. We often talk about these ingredients in the pot and there's, sometimes there's always one or two that are missing. Mm. But everything's come together perfectly. I think they're all there now yeah. and everything's just cooking. Yeah, The cake is baking, so to speak. But none of it means anything if you can't get your hands on finance. Exactly right. And yeah. so today we have a special guest, which Vic will introduce in a minute, uh, who's a seasoned investor as well. Mm-hmm. But because finance is such a critical part, we can have all best intentions but if we don't get credit. We can't buy the debt. We can't buy the property. Exactly. So It's a game of finance. It's a game of finance. So Mm. I thought we would collate five absolute finance musts to allow you to be able to protect and enhance your borrowing position. Mm. So how can we move forward as investors? Because we do want to buy one or two or 10 properties, whatever it looks like to you. But once again, we can't do that without, without debt. That's
2: right. So uh, we've got Zee Shua who's been sitting around patiently waiting to be um, introduced. While we and, jibber, and on. Yeah, yeah. jibber on. Yeah, uh, while we jibber on. And Z is the head at um, MLS Finance, a seasoned investor uh, and um, a really, really good broker that I've, I've seen him do amazing things with finance. So uh, welcome, Z. Thanks, Vic. And uh, how are you finding the world of finance as, as, as uh, in sync, as in S-Y-N-C, <laughs> uh, with, um, uh, with the market, market itself? The market syncing.
0: Yeah, look, it's it's kind of um, an interesting dynamic um, because it not only feeds into um, the property market, but um, it's sort of influenced um, by the property market as well. Mm-hmm. So there's an interesting dynamic there where, you know, last year um, there was announced there's going to be sweeping changes. Um, I don't think the changes that have um, happened since and are probably going to happen from here on in are... Um, are as um, prominent as what um, they would have imagined because of the pace of the property market. So I think there's again there's that sort of um, uh, dual impact both ways.
1: So what you're referring to there uh, for the listener is that change over from responsible lending to responsible borrowing and how it was really uh, it was talked about although as it was going to be this magical major switch uh, yes magical switch but someone already turned the, the light on. yes, that's right before. And now I think in the back rooms um, of the banking systems and and APRA and the like, they'd be going, well, maybe we don't need to make as many of these changes because it'll only perpetuate Mm -hmm. an already very strong market and we need to be a little bit more granular about what changes we make. But having said that, they've they've already promised that there will be changes. And to be
0: fair, I think there are a few changes um, that they're tinkering with. The banks are, are tinkering with, and you know what they're being allowed by APRA ASIC and so forth um, to be able to do. I think they're going to want to do, especially in light of uh, the current environment, where the, the turnaround times for assessment and um, getting your loan application approved are blowing out more so than ever.
1: So is that a combination (laughs) though of potentially resources at hand within the banking system? Yes. In combination with just how onerous an
0: application is. How how onerous the application is and also the volumes um like, you know, the, the the property market is insane and a lot of that is to do with a lot of um a lot of confidence from buyers. You know, everybody wanting to oh I wanna get in, so the first thing I need to do is get my finance in order. Um, they're, they're getting pre-approved, right? So if a lot more people are getting pre-approved, you know, the queues are longer, it's taking longer for your application to be assessed. So,
1: so that's what we're seeing. So when we talk about applications taking longer, <coughs> mm. give us some ballpark numbers Look, for um, a pre-approval. The, for a pre-approval, some of the um,
0: even mainstream major banks, um, you're looking at anywhere from four to six weeks for an initial assessment so from the time that your financier hits um, submit on their their system of for your loan application it goes across to the lender four to six weeks it takes for it to go through a queue and it to be assigned to an assessor mm-hmm. and for the assessor to come up and have an initial look at it it's crazy. Yeah, let alone any questions that they might ask. They might just say, oh, okay, show me some additional documentation, As, um, ask other questions about your situation. And then, then it goes back into another queue. You know, it might not be a four to six week again, but it might it's still be time. another
2: two to three weeks. Yep. So and by the time the pay slips sort would of have expired anyway, right?
1: <laughs> <That's So> right <laughs> and you start again. So <laughs> it's right. a really, it's a real. Um, moment in time damned if you do and damned if you don't because yeah. as investors or homeowners purchases i should yes. say we really do want a pre-approval because that gives us an element of safety yes however if it's going to take me six weeks to get a pre-approval the way the market is moving that mm-hmm. might be a couple of percent yes uh, in asset value or even let's say lack of choice more lack of choice um or we say well we'll, we'll go to the market and we'll Start to negotiate something, purchase something, because when we have a contract of sale, there is the chance that our application then will be gets fast tracked, gets fast tracked, and into what into have, an have escalation you escalation process. Yeah, and
0: this this situation is. Um, being made worse, especially for your audience, because a lot of the applications that um, your listeners are um, submitting are complex applications, mm-hmm. deemed complex by the banks. So they go into a separate queue that definitely take, you know, the the four to six weeks rather than just an oh, OK, that's that's first homeowner, um, you know, fantastic income. They're going in, you know. They're buying in trusts, or they've got a portfolio of five or ten properties already. Um, they're doing some, you know, a simultaneous equity extract plus a purchase. So they're going into these other queues that are even longer and slower because the credit assessors are a specialized team. They're senior credit assessors, they're um, credit managers that um, are used to dealing with these and have um, sign off on on a more complex deal basically.
1: Well, so on the surface, like as you were saying that, first of all, I was thinking, who'd wanna be a broker? Yeah. <laughs> the second thing I was thinking was it just shows you the complexity of an application mm-hmm. in behind the scenes that I would say that over 80 to 90% of people wouldn't even imagine actually happens in the background. And so if you go over the counter to bank one to get your you know, pre approval uh, rolling, without any disrespect to the people on the other side of the counter, but it's just a number, it's just punching numbers into mm-hmm. a calculator with a yes or no. Whereas when you have those levels of you said complexity. I like to use the word sophistication. Yes, it, uh, <laughs> it 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 just it shows you that you need the specialist in behind yeah. the scene to uh, not just expose you to other lenders, but to structure properly as well. But to structure because the way I look at it is every finance uh, application or proposal is a business proposal. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. like you are. You need to create it. Yes, in its best possible light to get the best possible product and to get the result. But there is an element of complexity or workload behind it, which is clearly bogging down um, the ecosystem, yes. it just doesn't make it any easier for buyers. So look, th- some of the non-negotiables for me, if you went to an auction without finance approval- You're mad. Yeah, yeah you're an idiot, because mm-hmm. um, you're rolling the dice, and it's a very dangerous set of dice to roll. In a perfect world, I'd always love a pre- pre-approval because it gives me security to move forward and make the right decisions. But maybe I need, to, in today's market, I need to be attacking it from both ends. So that means I'm on the hunt for the property, whether it's an investment or a homeowner property, but I've got the broker in the background. I, I think that's a, that's I a
0: good that's a really good point because that gives the, the broker and the bank <laughs> a little bit more impetus. Like you mentioned, um, if you've started your search already, then and you sort of do that in conjunction with your, fi- your, your uh, finance application process, I think you're gonna get a better outcome because you know, one of the things you could do is select an area, um, which you, you guys would do anyway, and even if you're not buying that property, speak to the agent or um, grab a contract of sales, even if it's blank, and just shoot that over to your broker and for them to at least Pre-position the the lender with because a you may you may skip a queue. Um, worst case is b they know the type of property that you're looking for, um, the type of obviously the area that you're looking in. Um, and if you're going to hit any roadblocks with, um, for instance, um, postcodes mm-hmm. um, or high density or anything like that, then that way
2: um, it can be sort of nutted out early. So this is this is where you, as a broker, come in, and we've had several conversations around this in terms of our clientele. Is that when the approval or the lender is being sought? Yes. Uh, we are also looking at where we're looking in terms of the property because the lender might not like that area, exactly. or they might have a requirement to have a higher yield on yes. a property, which might not be. Actually possible on the ground. So yes. this is where it's really important to understand the type of finance that you're getting. Yes. And more and more, uh, as we we're discussing, we're starting to see people uh, releasing their equity early, yes. so that um, you know, in the worst, absolute worst case scenario, uh, particularly with the auction uh, time, uh, type of um, um, scenario, you are, you've got the ability to pay cash. For that property, if finance doesn't come through, also, yeah, that's mm. the
0: worst case. The backup. And I think you you really hit a good point because you know we're finding <coughs> we're, by working in closer with um, the our, our property group partners, um, we're always getting a better outcome for our clients. Mm. So. You know, we're we're talking to you guys about, oh, you're looking to put a granny flat on this property. Oh, okay, these lenders aren't going to be good. Oh, this lender's going to be better. Or these lenders don't even do construction finance. Um, You guys are thinking, okay, well, we're going to buy this one and another, so we've got to release more equity um, up front, Mm -hmm. or we've got to go 90% rather than 80%. So, you know, that close collaboration in this market is really, really helping us.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would say that type of collaboration in any market is – Absolute necessary, but more so, yeah. Uh, today, so those, and maybe just as a tip, if you are, if you have got a broker, make sure that the lines of communication are open and that there's no third party privacy issues, and yes. that you've given the necessary permissions. Yes, uh, and just as importantly, make sure there's no egos, yeah, uh, on the table because, as well.
0: You know, the 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 it can come down to the most minor detail, but that could blow your finance application out of the water, because if you've made an application in, say, husband and wife's name, you know, they go through the the four weeks, they get pre-approved, and all of a sudden, the buyer's agent says, actually, you know, I think this property is a really good property, but for your trust, all of a sudden, it's a completely new application. That previous application that you did and you got pre-approval on, you throw it out the window. Yeah, it's
1: a mute point, Mm. correct. So one of the things you mentioned earlier on uh, was around product. Selection and yes, we'll get to the five points in a minute, but the point I wanted to make now was Don't be don't be uh, rate Orientated don't be rate focused the best rate isn't necessarily the Uh, best product for you or your portfolio or for that particular um, Asset selection Mm. if you will do you find that a lot of people are more? uh, rate orientated today versus say four years ago when rates were at five and six percent uh, prob-
0: uh, yes and no. Um, I, I think there was a, t- a period of time over the last couple of years where rate was um, in the media a lot, and you know, as rates were falling, um, customers will always want to get the best rate. Rate will always be important; drives your repayments, drives your future serviceability. So, you know, it, it is always important. But I think of late, o- over the last six twelve months, people are starting to appreciate more that. You know, it's it's not a great rate if you can't get it, right? Yeah. yeah. And you know, the fact that we're already at you know twos, two two and a half percent's three percent's, then like it's actually pretty cheap, mm. and um, people are are really wanting to get into the market rather than just absolutely get the you know absolute finest finest rate, um, and that they're starting to appreciate that there are so many other important considerations like the structure, like LVR and the flexibility of the lender. Mm. Correct. You know, cash Features, out policies. You know. Offsets, yeah. all of that kind of stuff. Because
1: people are under the impression that if they've got an ama- a, you know, a portion of equity within a property, that mm. they can just Reach draw, in, draw in, it yeah. down you yeah. know, with an application and approval and what have you. But they can just draw that down and do whatever they want with it. But that that has changed over the last couple yes. of years. Yes, You may still have that equity yes. in that house. You still might be able to get your hands on it, but whether you can use it,
0: you're right. It used to be a foregone conclusion. You know, If you had the servicing, if you had the equity, you basically signed the application form in the finance contract and that it'll be approved. But what happened after the APRA um, and the Royal Commission is that lenders are scrutinising the purpose for the equity releases. So a lot of lenders, especially when it's over 100,000, they're really going to ask you clearly to... Uh, tell them what you're using it for. You know, a lot of them will, before they um, release the funds, they'll require, or even before they approve it, they'll require a contract of sales. Mm-hmm. Because you said oh, you're going to be buying a property with this um, these funds, Steve. Show me the contract of sales. Yeah, and yeah. you know you can't have it just sort of sitting yeah. there like. So, you did. gone are the so days
1: when everybody was drawing down equity and mm. buying Bentleys. And stuff. <laughs> there you go. again <laughs> That was my. <laughs> <laughs> I started that five minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so, if we, if we look at um, where people are in, at this at this point in time, it's more solution based lending than anything else that they should be focused on. Is it has to be solution-based lending yeah. because there are so many other considerations other than the rate, like mm. you said.
1: I think that's probably a better topic other than the one we talked about before is solution-based lending because mm. it is. Mm. It's not any finance, anytime, anywhere yeah. now. It is for… It's about a solution the, the property. It's about turnaround times. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, it is about price, but it's also about the structure. You know, are, are you looking at fixed versus variable? Do you need an offset account? You know, are you looking at um, deductible debt or non-deductible debt? Are you looking at principal and interest? What LVR? Because a lot of the times. The, the product um, and the constraints are tied to, you know, is, is it an 80% um, mm-hmm. lend? Is it a 90% lend? These days, there are quite a lot of lenders that are trying to attract business if it's a low LVR, you know, if it's 60, 70%, they'll give
1: you additional discounts. So, yeah. Right. yeah. Hmm. So, I've got it before we get into the to the topic and the five key points, just a few questions that I'd like you to answer that we would get on a daily basis. And the first one is around offset facilities. Yeah. So in the most simplistic way, explain an offset facility and how it compares to principal and interest uh, repayment types. Yeah, so
0: an offset is a super handy facility. You know, like if you've got a loan or if you're taking out a loan, um, then like if you're going to have any sort of, um, you know, minimum amount of savings, 10, 20K plus, then you really need to be considering... Um, whether an offset is, is for you, um, and, and most of the time it will be. An offset account is just a bank account um, that is linked to your home loan, and it any money that you've got in it effectively reduces the balance of, of your home loan. So, for instance, if you've got a $500,000 home loan and you've got an offset account a- against it um, and you've got $100,000 in the offset account, you're not paying interest on $500,000, you're paying interest on $400,000. Now, why is it such a such a great thing? It's because instead of um, putting your money in a high interest account um, where you're going to get one percent if you're lucky, and then get taxed on it at your your marginal tax rate, you put it in the offset account, and you're saving whatever the interest rate that you're paying mm-hmm. on that loan is. You know, might might be two percent, two and a half percent. Net, but it, exactly, it, it's net. You know, mm. it's it's after tax.
1: It. I think it's one of the... One of the best products.
0: It is absolutely one of the best in, products. Yeah, on
1: the fi- in the finance ecosystem that's ever been invented. Mm. And I would say that it it's probably part there of the reason as to why, uh, as a nation and of mortgage holders, I think for the most time since the 70s, we're more in front yes. of, our, of our mortgages yes. because yes. it gives us the ability to dump money into that on a daily basis. That's right. And you should. Yes, But we've also got the ability to be liquid. Yeah, absolutely. And to to pull it back out as opposed to a principal and interest component where we are tied to that no Mm -hmm. matter what our personal cash flow situations
0: are. not only does it um, allow the the benefit of, you know, repaying your loan faster and saving interest on that front, but it, it's just so handy from a banking perspective. You know, you can h- pay your credit card off f- from it. It's like any other transactional account. Like, mm-hmm. you, you know, you can have direct debits, you can have your Netflix coming out of it and, mm. and gym membership and so mm-hmm. forth. So it, it's just super handy. You can have your pay come in from it. You can have multiple offset accounts. So a lot of people like to, you know, budget, um, which is a great idea you know having different accounts um for for your different allocations different buckets different Mm. buckets you can have a holiday account you can have a long-term savings you can have an investment um if you run a small business you can even have one allocated for your small
1: business and it goes on it's a great product exactly yeah Yeah. yeah, yeah. and i think it has reshaped the way that people think about their personal finances and then how they allocate those funds accordingly in terms of liquidity just
0: got to be a little bit careful when using them Um, use them in the right way Mm -hmm. you don't want to kind of muddy the waters necessarily for instance if you're extracting equity you know you don't want to necessarily dump all of those funds into straight into an offset account because it can impact your deductibility speak to your accountant disclaimer around that um and also there are restrictions on you know which uh, loan products you can have an offset mm. account it's you know, for instance fixed
1: and so correct forth. Yeah. and it's for the disciplined yes if you yes. are <laughs> not very disciplined with your money it's probably the worst product that you could have yeah stick to p and i mm. the other question we get asked a lot is around lmi so lenders mm. mortgage insurance should i go 80 should i go 90 and there's a, there's a bit of narrative around at the moment, depending on the price bracket, that yeah. 88% is kind of that yeah. sweet spot. Yes, yes, But we hear terminology around 88% plus MLI or 88% and cap the LMI. Yeah, so can yeah. you explain the 88% plus cap the LMI?
0: So basically you're, you're just borrowing the, the LMI. That's, that's what caps means. Um, the 88% plus LMI at that um, LMI bracket, that um, LVR bracket, um, 88%, you know, it's about one and a half percent, you know, 1.4% of um, the the loan that um, that's what it's going to cost you in terms of um, mortgage insurance. And the reason that that's a sweet spot is because you've got um, a 90% lend that, you know, a lot of the times lenders are happy to to lend you 90%, but instead of Um, lending the full 90% and then paying the mortgage insurance on top of that, in in which case the LMI a lot of the times exceeds 2%. Mm. So you're saving a significant amount by just you know um, putting a little bit more deposit, so a seven percent, uh, sorry, a twelve percent deposit. I'm good at maths on profits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great broker this time. <laughs> yeah. um, so putting a twelve percent deposit instead of um, a ten percent deposit, but instead of paying the mortgage insurance out of your pocket, you're actually borrowing it mm-hmm. instead, and you, you'd save almost fifty percent. You know, forty to fifty percent so on you're preserving the, LMI the capital premium. position somewhat. Yeah you're um, preserving the capital position, um, but you've also got the the best of the other world where you're minimising the LMI premium, yep. where, you know, for a $500,000 purchase, you know, it, it, it might be a, a $10,000 um, LMI premium if you borrowed um, 90% and then paid the mortgage insurance. But by putting that additional 2% and then borrowing the premium, the LMI premium is only about six thousand. So
1: that's a huge difference. Uh, that's a massive yeah. difference. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's yeah. almost so the equivalent to a hundred dollars a week of rent.
2: Almost. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So mm. if you, if uh, for the um, uh, listeners that are just starting out this journey, uh, LMI is lenders' mortgage insurance, and uh, it actually protects the bank, uh, not you. Yes. So y- you are paying them the privilege of lending you money at a higher loan to value ratio, the LVR. Yeah. Um, I guess. Uh, one way to look at it is this is a business proposition where you're using less capital yes. to get into a income producing asset. Correct. It's a cost of business yes. at the end yeah. of the
1: day. And that's one of the that's one of the remarks that we often give is you mm. know, why would I pay LMI? Mm. Well one, it's to make that dollar of yours Go further in terms of your capital position, but it's also a cost of business,
0: and because it's a cost of business, it's also tax deductible over
1: five years. Yes, correct. Um,
0: so um, that way, it sort of hurts less. Mm. Um, and you know, if you're if you're looking at the opportunity cost, if that's allowing you to get into another
1: property instead, um, you know, a, a or lot even of people, into, yeah, or even into a property, mm. rather yeah. than save the deposit. But we do need to we do need to move on. So let's get to the to the subject, which we kind of are, and it is those five absolute finance musts for finance solutions. Mm-hmm. Is that what we said what we called it before?
2: Lending solution. Lending S- solution. Lending solution. Lending. <laughs> solution lending. <laughs> and we, we we've got our we've got our stuff together here, folks. So uh, <laughs> preparation. <here> with us. <laughs> preparation was key. <laughs> All right. The first
1: one is around non-deductible debt. Um, is the point you've made, and I'm mm. guessing that that is really minimising stuff like car leases, car loans, credit card debt. Yes. Um, All of that hurts your your serviceability. And even if
0: you were to compare – owner-occupied debt to investment debt. You know, $500,000 of owner-occupied debt doesn't translate from a borrowing capacity perspective to $500,000 of investment debt because the investment debt is actually treated a lot more favourably by lenders mm-hmm. when they're calculating how much you can borrow because they know that you're getting a tax benefit, right? They know that the rent's generally going to be a lot less than what you're, well, you're going to have a lot of other expenses. So they, they're actually helping you by adding back some negative gearing benefit, they call it, um, to your income mm. to actually help you supplement that debt.
1: It's an interesting point. So essentially investment debt is looked upon more favourably. Correct, correct. And the owner-occupied debt Generally speaking, so that,
0: that's one of the the real key principles of lending, especially when you, you know you've got an owner occupied debt, and a lot of our clients are in this situation. You know, they own their home, well, um, they've got a mortgage on it, and they're buying investment properties. They've got some investment properties, or they have the objective to buy investment properties. So, so many of the finance strategic decisions are centered around um, that kind of non deductible that de- um, deductible debt kind of. Um, relationship, so you know, for instance, you know, why would you want to um, go a ninety percent lend or eighty eight percent plus LMI uh, when you you've got enough equity or you've got enough deposit for that um, that um, uh, the twenty percent? Um, it's because you're, you're trying to preserve your um, your deductible debt. Yeah. Um, and, and same with um, P&I versus um, IO, I so principal and interest versus interest only. When you're taking on that in investment debt, you know, you'll, you'll hear a lot of people say, oh, investment debt, um, just take it out as interest only. You, know, you might be questioning why that's the case, especially when interest only is usually a little bit more expensive than um, the P&I. It's because you're maintaining those rela- uh, the, that interest only and deductible debt and you're not, um, uh, you're not paying it down, mm. where you can take that you know, disposable income and use that to put in your offset
2: account or pay down that non-deductible debt, which is gonna help you grow the portfolio going forward. So you're committing less of a cash flow uh, towards the loan repayment as to well. When towards you're doing the study? investment
0: yes. loan repayment. Mm-hmm.
2: And then you can obviously make you know, additional repayments to your
0: home
1: um, if you like, because it's non-deductible. Control the cash flow, control the opportunity. At the end of the good day. good way of putting it. Yeah. Um, non-deductible debt is also around, as I mentioned earlier, on car leases, credit cards. And I don't think people have an, a real understanding of just how much that affects potential borrowing capacity. So let's... And we did this on a Facebook Live the other day, but let's do it again. Yeah. If if I have a $60,000 um, yeah, car lease, yes. how much is that taking away from my overall capacity or borrowing capacity yes so it's
0: $60,000 roughly you're looking at about one and a half thousand dollars a month in terms of you know depending on the interest rate and terms and um, loan term and so forth but you're looking at about one and a half thousand dollars a month so that's probably taking anywhere between three to four hundred thousand dollars
2: additional so I another property yeah I just want to
1: say that (laughs) that again if you've got a $60,000 Car lease, which some for some people it's a must, or for whatever the reason. Yeah, but just let's just keep this within context. A sixty thousand dollar car loan is going to cost you and take away from you the same of a three to four hundred thousand dollar home loan mortgage.
2: Yep. So take out the car lease or buy the property. It mm. might like it might boil down to that. So, so if we play this out, um, uh, Z. Right. So I need a car. Yes. Right. And, and 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 I've got the choice now to put a lease on it or yes. I can tack it to the back end of my home loan. Yes. Right. Yes. That would be a better option because it doesn't impact my borrowing capacity as much if I've just redrawn from the home loan, isn't it? Uh, exactly right. Um and you and the reason for that is because
0: it's amortized that home loan is amortized for over 30 years, years rather yep. than a, a 5, 7 or even sometimes 3 year loan term for mm
1: but it will cost you more in the long
2: run. Yeah. So if you're disciplined enough to pay it off within that three to five years. If you quarantine yeah. it, yeah, yeah, you need and
1: to see. say to yourself, psychologically, I'm gonna smash that part of that in loan down, so be it. But the point I wanted to make was that it's three to $400,000 worth yeah. of borrowing capacity, yeah. you are throwing away with the $60,000 car loan.
2: So we were talking about visualization <laughs> earlier on, if I can say that word, right. <laughs> <laughs> if you can visualize, The car that you're driving is $60,000 finance.
1: You're driving a house on the road. Yeah. No more to pay. Mm -hmm. What's going (laughs) to appreciate more? (laughs) Well, well, that's the difference between um, constructive debt and non-constructive debt. You know, like appreciating debt versus non-appreciating debt.
0: You're you're right. You're you're not getting a tax benefit on the car, but, you you know, if you're PAYG, let's say, but you're getting a tax benefit on the house... Plus
1: appreciating and depreciating. It's kind of a no-brainer. Yeah. Now, we're not saying that everybody should get around in a Datsun 180B for those that remember what it is. Um, but we, we, you need to be tactical. Hmm. If, yeah. if your goal is to build out a portfolio, whether it be one or 100 properties, you need to be methodical, tactical, and think well ahead of what steps you're going to do today to enable you to be into that position tomorrow. I think Vic
0: had a had a really good solution. You know, you split off part of your home loan. It's really easy to do from a finance perspective. Split it off, and then you concentrate on paying that down. And even if you're making additional repayments on that, and consistently, because the minimum re- repayment is so much less than the lease or the novated lease, the shuttle mortgage, or whatever it is, then you're you're, you're still paying that down. Um, and getting rid of it, um, but you're not impacting your borrowing capacity. So that would be the same
1: with credit cards as well. Yep. So if you've got a $5,000 credit card, you're potentially taking twenty to $25,000 away from your borrowing capacity. Yes, yes, that's yeah, right. That's crazy.
0: Absolutely And, and even, even in that situation, even though it's a bit counterintuitive to say, well, you know, take it out of the equity of your home, in fact, if you are disciplined, then from a borrowing capacity perspective, it is actually better. Like if you, for instance, if you've made $100,000 worth of advanced repayments on your home loan, and you take out 5000 of that to go on a holiday when we can travel again, you know, it, it just makes so much more sense, you know,
2: rather than racking up on a, on a, on a credit card. Mm, just be mindful not to let the debt run for 30 years once you've used yeah, that as yeah, well.
1: Yeah, yeah. And if you've got $100,000 worth of equity, maybe think very carefully about how much of you use to buy the car. You know, instant gratification versus not. Like, I'm not a fan of any non-deductive debt i don't like it i don't have a credit card don't have a car loan i just i'm not a fan that's me personally I it doesn't do even have a car folks oh, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's why you didn't want to pick me up earlier yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you walked a, well i figure why well, have a car when i got oh, i got old mate here with a bentley and, <laughs> and he can drive <laughs> and he can cop all the deduct- all right, next one we move on um so non-deductible debt that was point number one Yeah. point number two is Repayment structure, and you touched yeah. on this a little early, but this is such an important component.
0: Yeah, the whole, you know, finance product. Um, which um, product is most suitable for not only your current situation, but um, what you're wanting to do in terms of goals, but also um, from a property perspective. You know, mm. if we're, if you guys are buying um, my client a um, a property, and your intent is to, you know, do a, a major reno on it and then flip it within a couple of years, ride this market and then flip it in a couple of years. why would I put them in a a five year fixed period, for instance? So So the
1: plan
2: on the property needs to be looked at as well. It has to be incorporated.
1: And that could go down to whether I stay fixed or variable. So let's use that as an example, not the flipping, but let's just say we we want to do a major renovation because that's the way we've purchased it. There's great upside, et cetera. Then it would be imperative that I kept variable because I'm going to want to equity harvest yes, later. Yes, that's so right. I need the ability to be able to move yes. lenders because the chances of the lender I have at that point in time giving me a more favourable valuation than the next lender is minimal. And I can hear the phones ringing now with <laughs> valuers complaining. Well, that's but it's, it's the truth. It's, it's true because yeah.
0: you know uh, again the lender is going to look at it and they 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 said oh well you know a month and a half ago. Um, we bought this property
1: for you for
0: 500000 How can it be worth six hundred and fifty now?
1: And they're about minimising their risk. And if they have you fixed and you can't go anywhere, well, why, why are they <laughs> going to bend it. backwards for you? Exactly. Like you're the perfect client exactly for right. them. Yep. Exactly. So the, the repayment structure, so what we're referring to there is fixed or variable, P&I yep. versus interest only. But just on,
0: just on that point, um, we're not necessarily saying fixed is bad because, for instance, uh, right now, a lot of the fixed rates are, um, you know, a lot better than um, the the variable rates. You know, we just had um, word uh, a couple of the majors dropped their um, fixed investment fixed interest only to under two and a half percent, two point no, four nine percent. Don't be saying that to me. It's <laughs> a, <bit laughs> a sore spot. Yeah, very very
1: sore spot. It's um, but with the with the the fixed and variable, it comes down to the plan for the property. Yes. Always. We might as I said it might be a renovation, it might be a secondary dwelling, it might be an equity harvest scenario. But it does we need to weigh that up heavily with what the physical cash flow savings are as well by fixing because they are yeah, are smaller.
2: I suppose it it also needs to take into account the bank's policy, the lender's policy, whether they will actually allow you to come back pretty much straight away and and to harvest the equity, yes. or do they have any rules around it to say that you can't
1: do anything for six months, as an example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, repayment structure. And the next one is is something that not a lot of people talk about in terms of other brokers and why it's such an important part of the five absolute musts, and that is equity harvesting. Yeah. And how that can actually benefit you moving yeah. forward?
0: Yeah, I think um, we we touched on it earlier in terms of extracting equity, um, but because in today's environment with the turnaround times how they are, it's even worse for equity harvesters, if that's a, a term it is now. It is now. <laughs> but um, you know, if, if I'm going to the bank and I'm saying, hey, I want to take out um, one hundred and fifty thousand dollars of equity, like the banks are actually deprioritizing that. Mm. Um, even if you have a pre-approval um, alongside it, they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll get to it when we get to it. I can see that a lot of other customers have bought a property. They've got that contract with sales. They've got that deadline, that finance, and that settlement date. We're going to push those, so you get
1: sort of put to the back of the queue because you're not as profitable as the new person.
0: Well, it's it's more that it's there's there's less urgency around that um, that that deal. There's no timeline on it. So there's no timeline on it our ability as brokers uh, is, is very limited to be able to push it. You know, mm. we, we, leverage our relationships with the banks, mm. but you know, at the end of the day, they're going to say, well, okay, well, give me a reason that it's so, so important and so urgent and you can't. And then they're, they're like, okay, well, we'll shuffle that. And our, our turnaround times are
1: four to six weeks. So the reason for me why equity harvesting is so important is it's not about the now, it's about the future. It's about the tomorrow because our credit file, our credit rating is just the most important part to us that anyone that wants to borrow money. For me, equity harvesting is about creating buffers and mitigation around a point in time that may never and probably will never exist, but at least I've got it covered. And what I mean by that, if I lose my job, if I sack myself, or mm. you know, something goes wrong and I still need to pay the mortgage, I still need to pay the phone bill, whatever it may be, I'm not going to have an arrears red mark against my, you know, whatever the credit policy is, mortgage, phone, car payment, whatever. I have the money before I need it. And I think that's the key and for And that's me. the key. Have yep. the money before you it's, need it's it. It's
0: a risk mitigation.
1: It's, yeah, It's liquidity is, is just such an essential part of any investment platform. Mm. It's like the reason, if I pivot a bit, the reason they say, yeah, that the people that invest in shares heavily, one of their major arguments is around, well, shares are more liquid. Well, here's a way with the, with the invention of the offset facility, redraws, lines of credit, whatever it may be, and being able to put it back into itself, so minimal to none, no cost unless you use it. Yes. Here's your way of being liquid to some degree. Yes. In other words, have the money before you need it. That, for me, that's, equity harvesting is not just about being able to reach back in, and this is what equity harvesting is, reach in, take some equity out or recycle capital mm-hmm. yes. to then duplicate. Yep. It's about also being ready
0: yes and it it, it's being a uh, about being opportunistic as well you know we've seen it um for your clients and that you you have that three four hundred thousand dollars equity and you know worst case you know you're not going to get a you know another extension on your on your finance you make the call that worst case if we like all lenders say no i can still buy it cash outright, or I can buy it at a much lower LVR mm-hmm. because, you know, it's a fire damaged place. And then, you know, I can use that um, to to leverage and then pull the equity out once the, the
2: major renovation done. done. Yeah, it gives you a lot more options as to what you can do with money, uh, play around with uh, the opportunities that come in terms of uh, today's market.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And even if we use an example, not quite as extreme as the fire damaged property i think Uh, you've just pulled
2: one out of your portfolio that's
1: what i thought (laughs) personal experience maybe yeah (laughs) but it's it's more around what happens if the pre-approval i had at 90 percent now no longer exists because there's been a policy change Mm, but they'll give me 80. yeah i'm ready it doesn't even have to be a policy change it might just be at the
0: the behest of the lender you know we've had we know many lenders that um they give the power to the assessors to arbitrarily change the product on you. So, you know, you go to unnamed bank, I'll I'm not name and shame at this point, but they go, okay, I can see that you actually qualify for a 90% interest only. You fall within the policy and, you know, it, it actually meets our, our rule book. But I don't know, you know, the fact that you bought a Bentley and, <laughs> you know, it's, it just doesn't sit well with me. So I'm going to, I'm going to just mark this down to an 80%. Mm-hmm. Because I, I can. Because I can. Correct. And, you know, they've got the, the full power to do that and, and there's nothing that you can do to, to counter it. You, you can't argue their policy. They say, I'm aware of my policy, but just based on my own risk appetite, I'm a credit assessor. I had the discretion
1: to mm. do that. Now, if you weren't using a broker in that scenario, you'd have zero chance. Yeah. yeah. But if you're using a broker that will physically go into bat for you, there is some
0: We chance. We can argue it, we can leverage our relationships and worst case, we can go, okay, no problems, let's go to another
1: bank. Correct. That will do it. Yeah, but if you only think bank one exists because that's where you've banked all your life. Yes, yes. Um, well, then you know, you're kind of cornered. So once again, that whole equity harvesting is not just about the propulsion of your portfolio it's about protecting your position yep, mm-hmm. yep. it's forward planning uh, to Always. be opportunistic yep. so the next one for me is an obvious one on the surface but when you dig a little deeper it's not so obvious and that's around income clearly the more you borrow sorry the more you earn yes potentially the more you can borrow but mm-hmm. it does come down to your disposable income you know, what expenses you have personally and within your businesses or your portfolios or whatever, have But income is a major yeah, yeah. component.
0: And it depends on the type of income. You know, some lenders are good at different types of income. For instance, you know, if I'm, uh, a real estate agent, and I'm earning very heavy in commissions, or you know, I, I'm, I'm in sales, I've got a lot of commission or bonus income. Then some lenders will shade that significantly, up to to forty percent. So they'll actually, you know, say, oh, what have you earned over the last two years in terms of bonus? We're going to take the lower figure um, per annum, and then we're going to shade it by another thirty percent or forty percent, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're not actually showing that much income. Mm. So it's about using the right lenders, and I know that was probably a good segue into the the, the next point around lender selection, but it, it is so important um, which lender that we go with because different types of income mean different things. You know, self-employed income, how do we um, assess that? You know, is it over one year, is it over two years, um, financials, or is it just over a BAS statement or, a, you know, four BAS statements mm, and an correct. accountant's
1: declaration? And that that's the difference between self-employed and... PAYG, but we'll get into the next one, which is lender selection. (laughs) So
2: one of the things, uh, Steve, if I can interrupt, is uh, the biggest difference I see between someone going direct to the bank or using a broker is the broker understanding the lender's lending policy and then matching it up to the circumstances. Whereas most people, when they're starting out on investing, they go to the bank they've always banked with, as you said, and uh, they're then only focusing on the interest rate and – uh, I've banked with this um, bank for years, so therefore I'll be loyal to them, uh, not understanding their particular lending policy. And this is where a good broker comes into play and matches what we're trying to achieve with the actual lender's lending
1: policy. I think even before that, though, you need to know where you want to go. Yeah. Then the the policy will be matched to where you want to go, as long as you've got the right people around you to clearly mm. define and help you understand where you want to go. But if I just come back to the imp- income thing, um, or the income point, Income for me is also about expenditure. Yeah. So it's all good. Earn half a million dollars a year, but if you're spending 400 of it, yeah. well, you're in no better position than the person who earns 70 and spends nothing. Mm. So it really does come down to not just asset selection, product selection. It comes down to the person you're sitting in front of to actually give you the steps to rein in where you necessarily have to to be in a position to be able to borrow. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you can't see that yourself. You need someone to say, look, you know, maybe we've got to shift this, pay that credit card down, switch that car loan. So it's a it's a it's a unified effect, if you will, to get the result. But expenditure is the easiest way to increase income.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's not to say that you stop living life. Like God, no. um you know, there, there's many instances where, you know, it might be travel or uh, let's just say um, uh, marriage, right? Uh, like a wedding. You, you know, you see um, like a couple's expenditure go up significantly in the months leading up to a, a wedding, but it's something that we as brokers can actually explain away to mm-hmm. the lenders. We can say, look at these transactions, you know, this is to a reception centre, this is to a photographer. They're one-off expenses. Just ignore those. You know, some lenders might might still question it, and because it's above their threshold. But again, going back to the lender selection, if we go to the right lender, they'll go, yeah, yeah, no, nah, I understand. You know, you know, you know, you're not getting married every year, so um, that's we, we can con- contain those we expenses. Hope it's not getting married every <laughs> year,
1: but but it's but if we so they're one-off expenses. But if we're in a moment in time at the moment where we can actually start to control some of our ongoing expenses such as our interest rates we can maybe renegotiate maybe we can yes. have a look at the broker yeah. and the broker says why are you paying four and a half percent Absolutely. and let me tell you that happens on mm-hmm. a, on a weekly basis where I'm sitting down in front of clients or potential clients and their rates are next level above and beyond yes so if we start to condense the the, the interest rates and therefore our payments it increases our income potentially our serviceability, as does our rents. If you're a landlord in Australia within certain areas, to be fair, and you haven't adjusted your rents accordingly, with the right type of asset in the right area, let me be clear, then you're leaving money on the table. Then suddenly we have the combined effect of increased, literal increased income via our rents, and we've started to reduce our expenditure via our interest rates. And our position just might change in terms of our affordability in the bank size or our ability to be able to borrow
0: and not only the the in terms of the interest rates controlling your expense it might be um, the repayment type as well going back to our conversation about principal and interest interest only you might actually choose a more expensive interest only product versus then the principal and interest but that might actually significantly help your borrowing because the most generous lenders will look at not your deemed um repayments. They'll look at what your actual repayments are, mm. whether that's you know fixed for um, a, another six months, one year, interest only, or whether it's P and I at a very low rate. Um, the P and I might still be higher, but in order to um, to qualify, you might actually be better off on on the the more expensive interest yeah. only rate.
2: So, so so the physical repayments. So let's say it's a two and a half. Uh, and PNI, yes may be higher than say a three
1: and a half interest only payment correct yes mm. yes all right the last one is lender selection uh, and asset selection yes. but we'll leave the asset selection up to us let's <laughs> 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 let's talk about the lender selection and why that's so important which we've kind of touched on on mm-hmm. each of these points in a little earlier on but let's get a little bit more granular
0: I think that ties everything together um, the lend the, the the right lender will give you um, elements of all of those things that we spoke about um, in terms of um, you know being able to extract that equity, um, treating your income um, and your expenses to maximise your borrowing capacity, um, being able to um, allow you to extract um, the equity, giving you the right products um, for the right rates. You know because one lender maybe. Um, an amazing um, owner-occupied PNI. I get this all the time. I, I, I get um, you know somebody saying, "Oh, you know this this bank is the best because um, their their rates one point eight nine percent." But that's an owner-occupied PNI rate. If you're going for an investment interest only rate their their corresponding investment interest only rate might be over three percent where there's others that are well under three so using the, the the right lender from a credit perspective from a turnaround time we've spoken about that um, a, a policy perspective I mean it, it might even just come down to, to banking you know if you're buying your first investment property or your first property um, you know you're probably going to want to go with a, a lender that you know it, it may not be the absolute cheapest on the the market, you know, but for an extra 10 basis points, you've got uh, a full branch network, you've got a full suite of um, products um, from a banking perspective, you've got the offset account, the, you know, ability to do multiple offset accounts, that bank will allow you to do free valuations when, you know, we go back to
1: to extract equity Mm -hmm. and so forth. So lender selection is Absolute paramount. And we're seeing that now in in just the different product types or the proposals or scenarios as we like to call it. And mm. you know, and a good broker should give you a few multiple scenarios to make a, a very informed decision. But we're seeing the first the first tier lenders or the big four that are coming in with higher rates. Yes. Um, maybe same loan to value ratio, yes. but their their proposed loan amount is remarkably different from the second tier lenders because the second tier lenders are more aggressive in the market at the moment we don't get these moments in time very very often i mean very very rarely are all lenders on the same page at the same time but when there's a remarkable difference like we have today it's a really good time to potentially reassess what you have and move products or move lenders or just rejig what you have yeah and you're gonna need a broker to do that.
0: Well, as a broker, we're now legally obliged to give the clients, um, or to act in the client's best interests. So that legislation was passed in 1 Jan this year, and we we actually need to show that we're actually acting in the best interests of our clients. And that's not necessarily, like you guys said, just the best interest rate. You know, it could be borrowing capacity. It could be turnaround times. It could be amount of extra um, equ- equity. Could be credit policy. What have you? But you know, we, we are actually
1: legally bound to to get the right lender, mm-hmm. which is which is a little bit different from what some people think. Well, they'll just put me where the, where they get the most. Yeah, yeah, where they get the most money. The levels of compliance today. Yes, is so onerous compared to what it was just last year or five or 10 years ago. Yes. That it's a healthier banking and lending environment. It, it is. And and the reality
0: is that um, the differences in commissions, you know, for the, the average broker, it wouldn't even be a consideration. It's just such a small difference. It's like, you know, doing the right thing will always ensure a, a more sustainable um, and, and better relationship mm. with your client.
2: There it is. Mm. So, we can't let you go without asking uh, the changes that were um, uh, flagged in terms of lending that, yeah. uh, you know, March was supposed to be this magical yes, month yes, where yes. these changes were coming in. Yeah. Have you seen any changes come through?
0: They're starting to trickle
2: through. So, initially, at the start of the year,
0: it was mainly the, the, the third tiers, you know, the non-bank lenders that were kind of, um, you know... They, they they were responding to their initial response from um, COVID, where they had a knee-jerk reaction. They kind of a lot of them kind of shrunk back and you know didn't didn't do good pricing, didn't do um, good policies, um, and then you know they're starting to to, to sort of. Um, relax their policies. I didn't really take too much um, from that because, you know, they're they're kind of up and down anyway. You know, they they sort of um, come in and out. But um, only just uh, this week, we got um, uh, a couple of um, very interesting changes from the the banks. Like we said, it's it's not the wholesale you know open the floodgates type thing. It's nothing to do with servicing. Mm-hmm. Um, although there there have been some tweaks to servicing that you know assessment rates and benchmark rates and so forth, they've come down a little bit as as you know rates have been coming down. They've naturally been. Um, uh, being reflected in the serviceability calculators. And there have been over the last couple of months, to be fair, there have been some minor tweaks in that space. But we're not talking about, you know, um, four, five, $600,000 changes in borrowing capacity. We're talking, you know, 50, 100, 150 maybe, you know. Mm. But just recently, um, this is some really positive um, uh, news from CBA. Um, they've said, you know, if they're if the servicing is is quite comfortable, i.e., more than five hundred dollars surplus um, mm-hmm. per month, then they don't require um, verification and evidence of um, account conduct. Right. So you don't have to, you know, if you've got like. You know, heap of accounts, you, you don't have to show everything for the last three months. The uh, paperwork will be a lot less. Paperwork's going to be a lot less, which is going to really help the in, in the um, turnaround times mm-hmm. um, and the, the assessment process. So that's a real positive. And they're kind of leveraging off the whole um, comprehensive credit reporting regime that's come in over the past, you know, 12, 18 months. Um, so you know they, they can see it there. They go, yep, no problems. Um, we don't need to kind of make sure that you're you're conducting your accounts and your loans well because we can see that in your reports anyway. Which is going to cut out, I would say, a good twenty percent um, in terms of the effort from an assessor yeah. going through all of those things because they have to go through line by line. And if you if you do a lot of transactions, if you if your accounts three, three pages long. Um, of size eight font they're, they're gonna have to go through everything just to make sure that there's nothing wrong and that's what's you know that's one of those things that's holding up um, turnaround times at the moment so that was one big thing um, mm-hmm. another one was um, CBA said um, you don't need to to show that um, you've got, the physical funds uh, for a deposit, um, as long as it's less than 90% um, loan, then, and you're declaring that you're going to have those funds in your account by the time it's ready to settle, the the property's ready to settle, we're happy to. to okay. Um, to, to a big change. To, yeah, yeah. Huge. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, so, you know, there, there, there's, although it's not, you know, as I said, those massive wholesale changes. Um, Yet, and I don't think that it's going to be, as long as the the property market's running as fast as it is, I don't think we're going to see that. I think it's just going to be the tinkering around the edges, mm-hmm. um, slowly making it easier, slowly making it faster. You know, we had um, a little bit um, around... Uh, self-employed income as well. Um, some um, main, you know, another major Westpac um, saying that they were going to um, take the latest year's income if it was more favourable, rather than um, so if in, instead of having two years and then taking the the lower of the two years um, or the average of the two years, that they were like, okay, um, if twenty um, FY twenty twenty was um, better, um, even if it was significantly better, we're actually happy to accept that, subject to. Few other conditions
1: and it's these little minute softer changes that may encourage other lenders and because the they're
0: coming from the majors the the second tier will follow after that and I, I think uh, you know I'm, I'm a lot more assured that you know I, I, th- I actually think the the government's um doing it in the right way you know like um it, it's not it's kind of focusing on the issue of um you know Credit being hard to access in terms of it's such a lengthy and painful process, they're addressing that, mm. um, but they're not opening the floodgates,
1: um, perpetuating a, a bubble.
0: Nor should they. I agree.
1: Yeah, we don't. Agree. We yeah. want a sustainable market. We don't like yeah you know, the bubbles and the, yeah, yeah. You know, the massive deflation periods as well. We just want it if it was nice and linear. Yep. that'd be awesome. Eight <laughs> percent um, a year, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and that'd be that'd be great, but we know that that's not the case. But there it is. Uh, five really important facts that you need to do to preserve and enhance borrowing. Lending solutions. It's solution-based lending. Solution-based lending. (laughs) So, uh, Z, for the listeners, if they wanted to get in touch with you, how can they get in touch with you? Please, um, mlsfinance.com.au. Yep. There you go. And their name and number. Contact details will be there. Uh, Lots of really well-experienced brokers there. All of them are investors too. Yeah. So it, um, which for me is a really important point, whether Mm -hmm. it's an accountant, an advisor, a broker, whatever it may be, I want them to experience the same emotional roller coaster that I'm about to experience. Mm. And as a side, anyone who says that, take the emotion out of investing, (laughs) it's not, they're either a narcissist or it's just not physically possible. When you've got half a million, three quarters of a million, million dollars, on the line, there is an element of emotion there. Don't let anybody tell you any different. Just surround yourself with some people that can keep you in check. All right, there it is. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Z, right. Thanks for Welcome. coming along. Thanks, Vic. Thanks for having we'll me. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with mm-hmm. uh, Phil Tarrant to do the uh, the podcast version in their office. No doubt between now and then, there's going to be so much more news and we've got uh, our regular Facebook Lives where sometimes these a, a guest there as well as other people. Uh, so make sure you tune in and uh, you'll get all of that off from our socials and our website, rightpropertygroup.com.au. Thanks guys. And we will see you soon. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature, does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied
0: upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property, or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you.